0: What's going on, everybody? This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, and this is the Chondrocast, the podcast about green tree pythons and the people that keep them. Enjoy the show. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. This is episode 16 of the ChondroCast. Uh, this uh, episode, I'm joined by guest co-host Bill Steagle of Phoenix Reptiles and uh, Thaddeus Sauls of TLS Reptiles. How's it going, fellas?
1: It's going pretty good. Hey. Good what's, evening, guys.
0: What's new? How's Texas? How's Indiana?
1: Indiana is hot and humid. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of corn. That's about it.
2: <laughs> Texas is also hot and humid. Um, I'm not so sure about the corn thing.
0: <laughs> are you smoking? Are you smoking any cigars right now, Bill?
2: What do you think? If you had to guess.
0: Probably. <laughs> I mean, I would assume so.
2: Does Flathead Six Sixty ring a bell?
0: Yes. Did it's I put a nice one? Did I send that to you? Yes you did. Oh man. Yeah. Those flatheads are off out of off the chain. They're they're out of this world. It's a very good stick. It's
2: the first first time I've ever had one. I literally lit it five minutes ago mm-hmm. and it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm not and so of course Go ahead.
2: But I was gonna say and of course, since you brought it up, I need to thank you officially. Well, I've already thanked you officially, but <laughs> officially uh on your radio, thank you for sending me the little collection that you did.
0: That's how we do it, Buford Tobacco, man.
2: Man, good stuff.
0: Yeah, those I don't. I'm not terribly a, a big fan of the bigger ring gauges like that, but that flathead, man, I I smoke that one all the time. And they have another one they just released. It's uh, the V19, same blend and everything, but it's fermented for half the time, so it's a little more natural in flavor. And I smoked one of those today, and I was really impressed with it. So you you're much
2: more of a cigar snob than I am. Like <laughs> I enjoy. <laughs> I enjoy smoking cigars, but my usual routine is I go down to the local cigar shop yeah. and I say, "Do you remember what I bought last time?" Oh you man, eat some more of those. And I get whatever that else all the time trying.
0: at work. You remember what I smoked <laughs> last week? And I'm like, "No, man." Like, I mean, unless it's somebody I see on like a daily basis, half the time they're like, "Yeah, you, two weeks ago you sold me this," and I'm like, "I could, I have no idea what you're talking about."
2: But see, i to be your
0: perfect customer. You. <clears throat> it's my job to be a cigar snob. I know it That's is. what I get paid to do. You do it well. Thad, do you smoke cigars?
1: Uh, On occasion. Not very often, though.
3: I got you.
0: That's cool. Do we call you Thad or do we call you Thaddeus?
1: You know, I've, I answer to both. Okay. Um, it just really depends on your personal preference. I'd go by, gotcha. by Thad growing up. And uh, when I got older, I started going with Thaddeus. But there's always a whole bunch of people that call me Thad and it doesn't bother me a bit.
0: What about T-Dog?
1: T-Dog?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I call
1: Bill I be, the Steves all the time.
3: Bill's How the about
0: Stiegs.
2: Bad Bad
1: Thad. Yeah. Bad Thad. Bad Thad, there we go.
0: <laughs> With two Ds on the bad. <laughs>
2: and two Ds.
0: <laughs> oh, all right. Anyways, Bill, I'm glad you're liking the cigars. Um, Thank you. If you... Ever want any more? Hit me up. We do deals on on boxes and stuff. Quick plug for work, while I'm not at work.
2: Yep. Um, I need to join your monthly club.
0: We we've talked about doing it, but that's a I don't know if we can tackle that or not. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to keep up with and shipping supplies and all that. So I don't know. We'll see. But uh, anyways, condros. That's what we're here for. I could talk about cigars all night. Um, <laughs> and condros and cigars just go together so perfectly.
2: You, you need. You need a new podcast,
3: Justin.
0: Oh, I'm man. Cigars. Don't. Man, don't. I I don't know why I thought about doing a dart frog one at one point, and then Jake had to talk me off the ledge on that. He's like, dude, two's enough. And I'm like, "I, I but I could do it. I got the time. I could make it happen. And he's like, no. And I was like, okay. So. <laughs> but <clears throat> there's some new ones coming out that I'm, I'm, I need to check out, some cigar ones that are, that are pretty cool sounding. Cool. But Thad... Let's get into the uh, stereotypical general information about yourself, uh, your history with chondros, and your history with reptiles in general.
1: All right. Um, Well, if you haven't noticed already, my name's Thad, or Thaddeus. Uh, uh, My day job is I'm in the uh, Indiana National Guard. I'm one of the full-time staff. And um, my partner in this whole chondro endeavor is uh, my wife, Laura who is amazing for putting up with all of my crap and um when she married me that was her first experience with snakes she didn't even know i had one until she looked over in my bedroom one day and there's a green tree <laughs> python sitting there on the dresser and she goes what the heck is that <laughs> and, i hope uh, in a
0: cage it's my chia pet oh yeah uh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
1: But uh, that's where that's where we started uh, together. But my history goes way back. I was probably I grew up in Indianapolis, uh, and probably four or five years old. I was just attracted to the creek down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in I lived in the city, so there's was, was more of a drainage ditch. But I didn't care. I was down there in my dad's boots catching crawdads and stuff. And um, getting all nasty and muddy. And then (laughs) we moved when I was like seven, and there was this park in Brazil, Indiana, and that was a haven for reptiles. That's where I caught my first turtle, and my dad let me keep it, and it snowballed from there. So I had like just about every species of turtle at one point that you could catch out of that pond, Painted turtles, (laughs) Sliders, snapping turtles, yep. soft softshell turtles, musk turtles. Wow! And uh, my dad let me keep them all. <laughs> so, um, and then as I got older, I went off to college. I didn't have a collection for a long time, and <clears throat> about ten years ago, I decided that I had missed it, and I wanted to get a I wanted to get something. So I just started researching, and I wanted, I didn't want a ball python, no offense, Bill, but I,
2: that, <laughs> that, I don't keep ball pythons. I keep royal pythons. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry.
1: That's, that's my mistake. Put that royal card pythons. back in the deck. Let me Good. throw my pink, my pinky up in the air when I say that too. Um, <laughs> uh, but I wanted something that wasn't common and I wanted it to be vibrant and colorful. And as I started researching, um, I started i found out at that point that there was this thing called a reptile show so i decided to go check it out and that's where i saw my first green tree python and from that moment i was like that's it that's what i want to get mm-hmm. so i didn't buy it there because i was i was uh, had the foresight enough to do my research before bringing one home holy crap Bill, so are you hearing this
0: <laughs> God, it's real so, so crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the other crazy thing was believe it or not, it was a captive bred and born Grinchy Python at a what? reptile show What a small reptile show in Indianapolis no. unbelievable, right? Yeah no. so I I got, Yeah, so I got his business card and I don't know if it was a month later I can't remember but I ended up calling him and I drove down to Kentucky cuz that's where he was from and I picked it up and then that was the only snake that I had Uh, for another eight years and that snake went through the ringer because I didn't know about Facebook. I didn't know about Mm -hmm. all these groups. Uh, I was going off of a single page care sheet that that guy gave me and the reptile, um, was it the reptile magazine care sheet that I found on the internet that was all I had. And, um, So after that, that snake ended up passing about three years ago. Uh, She had some sort of degenerative um, disease Mm -hmm. in her spine, and she ended up prolapsing really bad. And then the vet fixed her up and stitched her, and she did it again a few weeks later. And at that point, they did an x-ray, and they found like five uh, deteriorated vertebrae right above the cloaca. Mm Mm-hmm. So she ended up passing soon after that, and I, and then I didn't have a snake for another – it was about a year later, and, of course, I missed it. So I started checking things out, and at this point, I still have not been on the forums. I have no idea that any of that exists. So I go to another reptile show, and I pick out a um, – I believe it's a CERN boa. I'm no expert on boas. Yeah. but. So I pick it out and I bring it home. I had all the cages and everything already set up, and and then I have her for a while, uh, maybe six months, and I'm like, "This is a cool snake." It's my wife's favorite snake, by the way, because bows are really slow, and this one's a sweetheart. You mm-hmm. can she's never even hissed. That's crazy. But, sirens um,
0: are gorgeous. A lot of the South American ones, man, they're just they're really good-looking snakes.
1: Oh, absolutely! The snake is beautiful. <laughs> it's got the nice pink, the nice pink cheeks yeah, on her, yeah. and I'm, I think that's what my wife likes the best about her. But, mm-hmm. but it wasn't doing it for me. I liked her, but I wanted something else. And then somewhere in there is where I discovered the forums and the Facebook groups of green tree pythons. And so I—that's when I got like really hooked. I started. I I joined every single one that I could find, and. Then, not too much longer after that, somebody posted one up, um, a guy named Brian from Missouri. And he had one that he was letting go because he was his life situation was changing. He couldn't keep it anymore. And so, I messaged him immediately. He was like, I want that snake. What else do you have? And he had another one that he wasn't going to let go, but I threw a number at him. And uh, he accepted. And so, I drove to Missouri. and I don't know. It was like... 500 miles or something like that.
3: Damn.
1: And so I picked up both of those, came back, and got them all set up. And it's somewhere along that line, me and my wife started talking, and I was like, maybe we could do something with this. So <clears throat> we, uh, it wasn't much longer after that. I decided I was gonna try and try my hand at breeding. So I picked up another one and another one and <laughs> that's another how one it happens <laughs> yep. i've heard and, this story uh, before yeah, I was saying, This is, it sounded familiar Tales old as time right
3: yep
0: so well, that's cool man um what, what were the what, do you know what the localities are the ones you got from the the missouri guy were
1: so one of them is um, actually the mother of my clutch that I just produced, mm-hmm. and she's what, from what I can tell, pure Biak. And the other one is not really sure. He didn't have any lineage information on her. It's allegedly captive bred, um, but it looks to me like an Aru Biak cross. Right. Um, but you know, when they crossed out, there's so many things it could mm-hmm. be. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's but that's what it looks like point. to me. So it doesn't matter. That's that's a beautiful snake, and uh, I'll find a I'll find a spot for it and mm-hmm. the and uh, the lineup somewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean the mystery animals don't bother me a bit. You know, it's like me neither. Yeah, you got some Absolutely of the guys that are not. they want purity and stuff like that, but to me it's it's a, a green tree is a green tree, man. They're all awesome. I don't I don't care whether they're proven or pure or, or not. You know,
1: right? Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Either. I'm
0: equal opportunity.
1: <laughs>
2: I don't discriminate. same here across the board. They're all they're all special in their own way as long as it's mm-hmm. healthy. I don't care anything else
1: about them.
0: So how many conjures are you do you currently have in your collection?
1: So right now there are eight adults or uh, well, young adults, some of them mm-hmm. and then there are seventeen of the hatchlings. There were 18, and one of them just never just. I'd have to chalk it up to failure to thrive, Mm -hmm. and it passed a few months ago. But the rest of them were all doing great.
0: And what else do you have? Fantastic. What else do you have outside of chondros? Do you are you still keeping um, turtles at all? Do you still have an interest in turtles?
1: No, I don't, because I was really into aquatic turtles, but I'm not really into the maintenance involved oh in aquatic god, turtles. Oh my god, that's an understatement.
0: <laughs> I had some as a kid, man, I hated it. I was having to clean the tank like two or three times a week, it just, like, the filter was pointless, it didn't do anything.
1: You know, brutal. if you spend enough money, you can you can get the right equipment for it, but it's it's just not our yeah. thing right now, so, yeah, that's we decided no more turtles, and... It's all snakes from here, but I, I have picked up, uh, I have a retic. Um, I don't have any breeding plans for any of these, any mm-hmm. of the following. They're just kind of pets. His name is Chewy. And then we have, a, uh, of course the, the boa who, and, um, her name's Sassy, even though she's, she was kind of feisty for a minute, but she calmed around she's, she's a sweetheart. And mm-hmm. then I've got a pair of, um. Uh, Yunnan Mountain, Yunon? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yunnan yeah. Mountain bamboo yeah, rat yeah. snakes.
0: Those are awesome.
1: Yeah, I think they're really cool, and I may try to breed those at some point um, if I can figure out how to do clu I've never had a cluber before, so. Um, and then we have a, yeah, the last reptile we have. No, we have two more. A blue tongue skink, mm-hmm. which is incredible. It's like, it's like. A lizard, a lizard dog. <laughs> it, it eats dog food. It laps water yep. out of the water bowl like a dog. And then it comes up to me when I open the cage and lets me scratch its chin. So I, you tell me what it is. I don't know. Um, no, not yet. We're working on that. Yeah. <laughs> baby, baby steps. Yeah. And then uh, a new passion project that I want to get into is a, uh, I just picked up my first one. It's an emerald tree boa. Oh, cool. A little, little captive born female. She's a couple years old. So I've um, only had her a few weeks and yeah, she's going, doing pretty well so far. So we'll see I, where that goes. I
0: want to get into those eventually. Bill, have you ever kept emeralds?
2: I have. <clears throat> I kept one. I, uh, it was very uh, similar to Thad's Thad's story. I, I, I got a female. She's about a year old, maybe 18 months old. Gold, kind of somebody that had <clears throat> the whereabouts where they they got it was kind of unknown, but they couldn't take care of it. It was kind of I wouldn't call it a rescue, but bad sheds. They couldn't mm-hmm. get it to eat. So I I took I took her and she just you know I put her in a chondro like tub setup and she just immediately thrived. Phenomenal animal. She um, she was a northern, uh, just perfect animal great temperament but at the time i was practicing as a physician and as she got bigger i decided it probably was not worth the risk of me keeping her just in case there was a, a bite
0: yeah
2: <clears throat> so i i ended up trading her um i regret it now uh, because my circumstances have changed right. but she was just a beautiful phenomenal uh animal so i certainly see people's um, passion with those animals—they're—they're they're so wicked, and they're—they're they're so similar to green trees. It's mm-hmm. amazing.
0: I think they go hand in hand, man. Like I like I said, I really would like to get some eventually. They're—they're they're pretty high up on the list of of stuff to to jump into at some point soon.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah,
0: they're awesome. And so, with your with your current collection, are you? like, is your focus going to be more towards with, cause you've, you've paired yours, but as far as the other stuff you have growing out right now, are you planning to, is it going to be more kind of locality focused designer? Are you kind of doing a little bit of both? Like, where do you want to, what, what's your kind of your aim with, with the animals you have now?
1: It's pretty broad spectrum right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two bioc females, uh, two gypura type females, a Jaipur male. One um, blue line from David uh, Vibrant Veritas. Nice. A D. Yeah, Dave D. That's a real nice animal. I can't wait till it's I a little bet. bit bigger. I bet. Um, then the one I got from TK that was the sire to my clutch. And uh, I think that's all my yeah, that's all my adults right now.
0: Yeah, so you kinda got so, got a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, what, what we want to do is we want to do a little bit of both. We want to do some locale type, which we're covered on the Jaipura.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we don't have any Beog males, so probably want to pick one or two of those up at some point. And then I really like, I shouldn't say I, my wife and I both really have a, a preference for the blacks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know, Bill, you've got I'm say the, you're with the right guy right I've now. ever seen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's I'm hoping to try and get uh, focused a little bit on some uh, some black stuff, and then as well as stick to some pure locality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where that's kind of where we're looking at the at the moment. Sweet. The good
2: news is that is that you know I I just become I have become just more and more convinced that there is um, such great crossover or a symbiotic um kind of relationship between blue and black animals i mean i think they the 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 black animals that i've seen that have come from blue line lineage you know have been really impressive and i just think there's i think there's a special relationship between blue and
1: melanistic um chondros i completely agree completely and we're off to a good start we have some uh the one we got from TK's got some black lineage. Uh, it's got some high yellow lineage, too, but we're not really going to focus on that too much. But And then we got the blue line <laughs> from from Dave. So, you know, we're just kind of... Right now, all I can do is mix those with Biak and hope something cool comes out. <laughs> it's
0: the, it's so. Those and <laughs> Wamina are just the secret ingredient. You just need a pinch. Right?
2: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Everything goes good with Biak.
1: It seems to be the just the perfect ingredient to everything, yeah. How's the temperament of your biot? Both of them are just nasty. <laughs> 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 to, they're they're the they're the only two that I can't reach in and just grab out of the mm-hmm. cage. All the other ones are super cool. Uh, one I uh, got a couple. There's I have a a jaya female who who's real cage aggressive, but as soon as you take the perch out she's mm-hmm. completely fine because you know removable purchase is absolutely the way to go so you you think go.
2: do you think do you think she's cage aggressive or is she just always hungry I don't
1: know I I, I don't know I vote always uh, hungry I had a lot of trouble with her uh she didn't want to eat for a uh, shoot she probably didn't eat for four months when I got her mm-hmm. it was a little over a year ago and she was just on a hunger strike and you know, just patience. She finally caved and now she's a champ. So I don't know. I that's what leads me to believe that maybe it was a little bit of cage aggression because she was absolutely not interested in food, but she still was nasty until he took her out, so I don't know.
0: See that's how my male is. He just he he tries to murder me until he realizes that there's there's a mouse on the end of the tongs and then he's like, Oh, okay, I guess I can I can switch gears.
1: A retic me. is like that. Yeah. A retic, if you go, he's got a giant cage, 8x4x4. Eight, eight by four by four, it's massive. Wow. And wow. I, when I open the door, I have to have a long hook because he thinks it's dinner time. <laughs> and as soon as I get that hook on him and move him around a little bit, I can reach in and grab him. He's fine.
3: Mm-hmm. My
0: female's like that. that. Uh, My female Beoc, she's she's pretty nasty when you're trying to get her out. But once she's out, she's she's fine. She's completely mellow. I trust her, but... Going in there and getting her, man—it's like trying to get a one of the crazies out of a house in a hostage situation, and you're the SWAT team. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I don't,
2: I don't have a single chondro that's like that, but I have a carpet python female that I got from Eric Eric Burke, and she is nasty all the way around. You know, <laughs> you walk by the cage, she strikes the glass. You get the hook out, she strikes the hook. You get her out on the hook, she's striking at you why she's on the hook, you get her in your hands and she's trying to turn around and bite you the, the entire time.
1: Yep, that's how that's how the Beauxx is. She yeah. Just, she hates everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't understand. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me how you can have so many other locales are so mellow but Beauxx for whatever reason when they just when they separated from all the others they just they somehow got this just demonic possession of an attitude. Because most yeah, of mine are pretty there's gnarly. Certain,
2: there are certainly exceptions to the rule, and Patrick Holmes will be the first. If mm-hmm. he's listening, you know, his ears are just burning because he'll just tell you, you know, he, he's kind of the king of the Beox, and he'll just tell you how all of his are just, you know, super sweet, and they got a bad rap. And and I've certainly seen, you know, Thomas O'Kane's clutch of captive bred b I had the pleasure of, of having four of those as babies and they were all super docile, but I still think, you know, the rule of hand is 90% of, of captive bred green trees and even even the farm bred or the slash imports are pretty docile except for the b mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because the babies that I have that I hatched out, they're all, I can handle all of them without getting bit at all. Like not a single one out yeah. of the ten or eight that I have try to do anything. Yep. You know, they don't try to pull anything funny.
1: Yep, same yeah, here. Awesome. I think
2: there's definitely and we've talked about this on our show, not only with Condros, but any of the any of the other species, like I've got Borneo short tails.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Every generation you get that's been bred in captivity, you know, I just think there's more propensity for them to be docile. Agreed. Non defensive
0: completely agree. But let's get into uh, your your current setups, that. How are you keeping your uh, well, first of all, I had a question too before going back a little bit. Um, okay. How long, how far out are you from breeding those younger animals you have?
1: <clears throat> um, probably two one to two years. Some of them might be ready next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other was, the others should be ready the year after. Um I've got a male right now that's on the fence. Probably all my males could possibly go this year mm-hmm. and one of all of them, one of them might have to wait another year. That's the jaipur that I just got. Um, really really awesome looking jaipur male uh, it was a red neo. but I don't know if he's gonna ha- he's gonna have enough age on him to breed this year, but I think everything else is going to be good. Yeah and we have we have one sorong that is ready she's absolutely ready she's like almost 900 grams wow and she's gonna be well i just i actually she's been breeding um some making some july and august love and i don't know if anything's going to come of it but we'll see and then there's another the other that i just got i don't think she's really going to be acclimated and ready to go this year she's She's had too much moving stress, mm-hmm. but, but I'm I pair up. I'm, I don't just wait until I, you know, I don't wait until cycling and temperature drop to start throwing them together. I just like to see what happens.
3: Yeah, I'm the
0: same way. And
1: uh, so maybe she'll be ready to do something by next late spring. We'll decide to see how she progresses.
0: I do gotta say though, with condros, it is really nice to be able to know that you want like taking your time you're better off like not being in a rush to get stuff up to size and get stuff paired. It's just like, you know, when they're ready, they're ready. I'm just going to, I'll pair them when they're, when I think they're good to go. And I, I don't know, I find like sort of a comfort and sort of a relaxation in that of you're just kind of along for the ride with these things.
1: Yeah. And I don't really, I don't really worry about trying to put size on them. You know, I just mm-hmm. feed them an appropriate size meal at the appropriate times. And when they're ready, they put on the size and, And you just, I don't, maybe it's just me, but I can just tell like, Oh, that one's, Mm -hmm. that one's going to be ready. So. Yeah, uh, I don't have, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I don't have a lot of absolutes with chondros, but I I have two concerning female chondros. I won't breed them for the first time until they're five years old. I don't care what they weigh. In fact, I don't think I've ever weighed a chondro in my life. I, I, I literally, I've never weighed one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I breed them based on age. Females have to be five. Mm -hmm. And if I do get a female in that's an adult, I will give her a minimum of 12 months before I'll try, before I'll introduce her into a breeding project to settle
1: in. Right. Yeah. They definitely take some time. Yeah. It's just
2: not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk to breed them, breed them when they're younger. And it's not worth the risk to breed them when, uh, even if they appear like they've settled in, I just, I have found that, you know, again, a year, roughly a year to really make sure they're settled in, um, before I'll, I'll give them a stab. And that's, that's not just my experience. That's going on, um, people that have been breeding chondros a lot longer than I have.
0: And what's the youngest male that you've bred, Bill?
2: Sickness was the youngest I've bred. He bred at three.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because I've got this, so, this sub-adult male, Biak that I'm going to try uh, early next year. He's two now. He'll be probably close to three by then, so he should be good to go, but I'm going to give him a shot and uh, see if he can make it happen.
2: You know, I think you run the risk of... Even when they're breeding young, that they don't have adequate sperm Mm -hmm. to get the job done. But the risk you don't run is is it's not going to kill them if you're wrong. Right. And if you're wrong with a female, you've got a significant risk of Mm -hmm. killing them.
0: Definitely, it's a one-way street. Mm -hmm. But let's get into your setups now. What do you, as far as like neonates end up? How do you how do you prefer to keep yours?
1: Uh, I'll give you a brief rundown of my, uh, of my keeping green trees without having the help of the forums. And then <laughs> yes. <laughs> give us, give us the rundown on that. Uh, there's probably a lot of people that can relate. Uh, <laughs> so when I, my first setup was, uh, the hatchling and it was in a critter keeper where I sealed off all the vents on the top.
0: what would you use to do that?
1: Uh, you know the the plastic dividers that you can get for like a, a notebook, yeah. Like a three like a three ring binder. Mm-hmm. I just I just cut those to the right size and and um, hot glued them down, and it worked. It, yeah,
3: hey, perfect. If it works, perfect it works. sheds, and,
1: you know? <laughs> and then uh but that, that didn't last long. That it outgrew really quickly, and then um what what are those called? Um, uh, I bought a extra terror. no i've never put any chondro in glass <laughs> <laughs> anyway it was one of the um it was one of the the plastic the pvc cages mm-hmm. uh vision it was a vision cage oh,
3: okay
1: and it wasn't a very big one so uh she grew out of that probably two years later so i ended up having to get another one and uh, I think – I don't know what I was keeping substrate-wise at that time. I think it was just paper. And then I got the bright idea uh, when she grew out of the vision cage. I was going to build my own, right? Terrible idea. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs>
1: terrible. <laughs> terrible idea. Like, it worked, uh, but it only worked for a while. And then the cage started to deteriorate, and I just started having problems with sheds. You know, you, you see in the in the forums, or some – Every now and then, somebody's like, "Oh, I'm going to put a waterfall in or a fogger." You're I've like, done both okay, of those buddy. things, <laughs> and they are both horrible ideas. It never works the way you want it. Um, so after, you, after what's that? Did you put Did you put any aquatic turtles in there with them? No, no, I didn't. Calidarium. I've never <laughs> tried to never tried to cohab, but um, <laughs> but then I got smart and I found the website for PVC cages and um, I bought my first PVC cage at 36, one of the 36 inch ones. Mm-hmm. And that was the best cage I ever, I ever had. And, um, still have it. That's still where my big beak is in. And so then when we started getting, um, more green trees, uh, the two that I went to get from Missouri, they were in, they were in the exo and I quickly moved them out. Um, Cause the, they were sealed the right way and I was able to keep humidity in, but it, they just don't hold heat very well. Yeah. And so I wasn't happy with them. So I got rid of those and I ended up going, I built a rack with melamine or melamine, however you pronounce it. And um, I used cambro tubs, the large cambros.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'm still using that rack. It's awesome. Um, it's just heavy. So I hope I never have to move it. <laughs> and that is, I, I kept them on paper for a long time, but in my house, my house gets really dry. And so even, even with the, when I changed waters, uh, I would dump some of the water bowl in the bottom, but it was dry the next, it'd be dry the next day. Cause it's just so there's no wow. humidity in my my house is super dry. That's I, need to, crazy. I need to do something about it, but. So what I ended up switching to was um, I went from butcher paper and I now I just use cypress mulch
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it holds the humidity a lot better, it doesn't evaporate as quickly, and just I just keep an eye on it. If it starts to mold or mildew, I just you know about two three weeks is all I let it go before I change it out.
0: Yeah, I like cypress. I'm, I've used it in some other stuff in the past. I haven't used it for green trees, but it's it was one of my one of my first choices just because it's so cheap and it you know it smells decent and.
1: Yeah. And you just got to keep an eye on it because it will mold. Yeah. Get that, uh, that fuzzy and, looking stuff. little yeah, patches of and, yeah. And that makes me worry about respiratory infections and that kind of thing. So I'm just real vigilant on <clears> keeping <throat> it, cha- keeping it changed out so they don't get sick. But, um, that's, but that's currently, that's the, that's the setup for the adults. It's uh, cambro tubs, uh, cypress mulch. And then I change the water twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually on Mondays and Sundays because that's when I'm home the most and uh, they they do great they shed they do everything they're supposed to do the neos um, they're just in a right now they're in a shoebox rack and they get get paper towel substrate um, oversight you know big, for the tub it's a pretty good sized water dish
3: yeah
1: when when they were hatchlings they were I kept them on water substrate for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. and um that way they got all hydrated and everything so it seems to be working pretty good they um i keep everything at i don't go above 84 right 84 degrees in the hot side Mm
3: -hmm.
1: um one because it's it it would be really difficult for me to go above that i'd have to put my heat tape at an unsafe temperature Mm
3: -hmm.
1: but they don't i don't i don't Personally, believe they need anything warmer than that, anyways. So,
0: yeah, eighty-five is the hottest I have any of mine. Everything else is all the all the older animals I keep thermostats set to like the low eighties. Mm-hmm. And they just they they seem to do fine. They I don't I don't I agree. I don't see a reason to keep them any hotter than eighty-five max.
1: Eighty-two to eighty-four, and most of them like every (laughs) now and then. And you see them, you see them thermoregulate. Um. With the hot side at 82, 84, you, you still see them moving back and forth from warm to cold. So um, that tells me that something's something's right.
0: Yeah, I had John Irby on the last episode, and he keeps his heat panels, like, center-mounted in the cage. And that's something I'm going to start trying to do with these the next batch of Python portals I put together from from David. Uh, I'm going to experiment with that a little bit and see if I notice any difference. It makes sense. I mean, I guess it is, in a sense, giving them more of a gradient than just sort of an A
1: and B. yeah um yeah (laughs) we have we only i only have the one heat panel um Mm -hmm. in the big in the big 36 inch cage and i honestly i can't put together what she likes and what she doesn't because she'll sit over on one on the cold side for a month yeah and then and then my females
0: like that yeah she'll do the same thing
1: Every single night she's not moving around, but she yeah. always goes back to the cold side. And then the next month she'll be on the warm side the whole month. So I don't. My I girl don't know. camps
0: out on the hot end all the time, and I'm checking the the thermostat and I'm temp gunning her hot spot. And I'm like, what are you doing? I was like, why why aren't you? She cruises at night every night too, but every day she's on the hot end. I'm like, it's not even cool in there. Like it's fine. Like I don't I don't. There. A lot of those that are like that, I just chalk it off to you're just an oddball. You're just a weirdo. Stay wherever you want. Do whatever you want to do. As long as you're healthy and alive. Right. And as far as feeding goes, what's your feeding schedule like?
1: Um, There is no feeding schedule. Uh, When they... I don't feed... Let's see, where should I start? So, if I'm not cycling, just normal... Maintenance, um, probably once a month.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right now, I'm feeding once a month, um, give or take. Um, I think my males I let go just this past cycle. I let go five weeks before I gave them a meal, and um, when I'm am cycling, because I'm trying to do the food cycle thing. I didn't do it last year. I'm trying to do it this year. So yeah. the sum, right now, I'm you know I'm letting them get real good and hungry before I feed them. And then the females will ramp up to probably every two weeks here end of September-ish early to, I don't know. I haven't really decided yet, but, um, and that's, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't want to make them fat. the, Mm -hmm. The male, um, I was feeding him a little bit too much and I noticed he was starting to get chunky. So I cut him back and he's, he's slimmed down a little bit now. So I don't like, to see them just sit in one spot and never move and if you feed them too much that's what they do so if they're moving around at night that tells me they're they're hungry they're looking for food so then i give them another week or two and Mm -hmm. then i'll feed them
0: (laughs) yeah it's incredible that you wouldn't think that a snake that's already extremely lazy could get any lazier
2: (laughs) i mean it's the reason you know that i have to put elevated water dishes you know, in a lot of mine, because I think they're so lazy that they will not <laughs> get off their perch to get to the ground to drink.
0: <laughs> but have you noticed a difference by elevating them, though? You know, I
2: mean to be completely honest, no, because I'm rarely out there mm-hmm. when they're active at night, and I, you know, I know they're they're drinking, um, but I would rather have a lazy, hydrated chondro. Than an, an you know a lazy, unhydrated chondro. Very so.
3: true,
2: right? Hydration's it's big.
0: Good enough. Yeah, it is. That's good enough reason for me. You know?
2: Probably probably the most important thing in chondros is hydration. If you ask me.
1: And you know I've heard people say that uh, when they about Emeralds, um, maybe it was Force Fainting, uh, but when they change the water bowl, they see him drinking that very night, and. I've noticed the same thing. I get, I see more, more green trees drinking on the day that I change their water, than any other time. So there's something to that. They, they know if the water's stale. Definitely. Yep. It's so
2: funny how like most snake keepers or like especially, royal keepers get so excited when they when their royals eat. And I'm like the complete op, you know, with the green trees. If I ever see one drinking, <laughs> the camera's
0: out. <laughs> <Yeah. clears
1: throat> yes, drink that up. <laughs> That's right. It. It's like I know drink you'll it. eat.
0: I don't care about that, but for the love of God, like I want to see your face in the water bowl. Thad, do you do you
2: um, do you soak your prey items before you feed them, or inject them with water, or
1: anything like that? I don't inject them. I've thought about it, but I uh, I do soak. Um, when they come out and they thaw, and then they go in yeah. a hot water bath. Yeah. And then I, I usually let them sit in that hot water until the water's cold, and then I dump it and I refill it with hot, and then I and then I feed them. So they have a so the prey item, the mice have a chance to uh, absorb some of that. And I don't know if it makes a difference, but it makes me feel good. I think it, it has at least some
0: a, effect. Yeah, I think they. I think it makes a I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean it's water intake regardless. Is what do you what kind of how often are you feeding your neonates? And, well, I guess before we get into that, how difficult were yours when you hatched yours to get them going? Did you offer them food immediately? Did you wait a little while? What was your process? Um, with that?
1: So there was a few. I did some trials on a couple of them uh, just to see. Uh, I waited a few days and mm-hmm. then that there was absolutely zero interest with any of them in eating until after they shed. And then, so once they all started shedding, that's when I started, um, started tease feeding and they were, this was a difficult clutch. Uh, three of them ate the first time food was offered and the others held out and just one by one, most of them. I say most because there's still two that are still running. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they've been the bane of my existence. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, spending three hours standing on a standing on a step ladder because my my rack is elevated up. It's it's sitting on top of uh, another rack. So I'm staying on a step ladder for two or three hours trying to get these things to eat, but. They um, they're all coming around slowly. I had I had three just start eating last week for the first time, and I'm like jumping for joy, running around the room.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but they um, even the ones that aren't eating, I've uh, well, you asked how how often at five to seven days.
0: Okay, pretty standard.
1: So. But the ones that aren't eating are getting cis fed, and I started doing pinky heads, and the pinky heads just don't have hardly any nutrition. They're just so small, and they were. It was about a month after. A month after they hatched, and I, the ones that weren't eating, were making me really nervous, and that's when I got my my first scale, and that's the only reason I know any weights on any mm-hmm. of them is because. I got curious and I just started throwing everything on the scale just to see, but <laughs> I, I wanted to track, I wanted to track the weights on the Neos cause I didn't want them to lose weight. And uh, Patrick Holmes actually uh, gave me some tips on using different body parts of adult mice to, um, to assist feed. And that has actually helped maintain weights in the ones that are refusing. If not, if not gain a gram or two over the last few months.
0: And what did you and, have you using like feet and tails or
1: um, thighs? Okay. Thighs and I'm using thighs and tails. Mm-hmm. I cut the feet off and um, and they're they're doing pretty well with that. And I've had a lot more success after after doing that. They start to put a little bit of weight on, and then now I'm getting more feeding responses out of all of them. So, Thad
2: do you um, are you scenting? prey items with anything? Have you tried
1: that? Yes. I've used chick down from day one. No. And, well, they were all, they were all runners. hmm Except for the three that ate right off the bat. No, I couldn't get a single one of the other ones to strike. I couldn't. They, they would run. I did everything. I've tried. I listened to every podcast I could on feeding them. <laughs> I've tried every technique. I watched every video. And nothing. And... They just—they're coming around in their own time. I don't know—I don't know what it is with this clutch, but um, I tried—I tried scenting them with chick. I—I I created some slushies with a gecko and a knoll and froze them and kept them frozen for a couple weeks because I was worried about parasites. And then uh, I tried scenting them with the—the—the the, the, tried both of them separate days, and none of them cared about the lizard scent. And uh, I tried parakeet feathers, mm-hmm. and I think I got I think I got one eat with parakeet feathers, but all of, pretty much all of them uh, eventually took the chick down scent, and I only had to scent maybe a time or two. Once they took it, then they were just all unscented. They just they switch over pretty fast.
0: It is
3: wild using yeah, the think...
0: chick scent for mine, man. It was like night and day. Like the switch had just flipped. All the ones that hadn't been eaten were snatching them up
2: yeah i think by far that's the most successful you know scent and it it really makes no sense why they why that would kick them in (laughs) um but but my experience has been the same in fact i will not even try establishing a clutch every single animal gets chicked down scented Mm -hmm. as their first um meal and most of them respond to that I've had a couple respond to, uh, gecko shed, uh, put, you know, a very small piece put on the head of the, of the prey. I've had some respond to that. Other people swear by the parakeet, uh, down. Uh, I've never had in, a good experience, uh, with that. I've tried that. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's kind of fun to try the different things, um, but I think, Thad, that your your approach to uh, if they if they're not eating after four trials, especially if they're runners, just assist feed them early. You know, don't let mm-hmm. them get behind the, behind that curve. Um, you know, where they do start to lose weight, or you know, just don't let them get behind that eight ball. Just you know, go ahead and get that assist feeding done. And I I, I assist feed um, strictly with tails. Mice, you know, hopper mice tails. I haven't had really good experience with the heads. Seem to me like they, a lot of times, they'll mush up and before yeah, I can get them to
0: they swallow work well, it, they're but...
2: just a gooey mess. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I they're nasty. Assist,
2: yeah, they're nasty. I can assist feed a hopper mouse tail and, and most of the time, n- never even take the animal off the perch. In other words, I just, you know, grab it by the head, mm-hmm. still on the perch, slip that tail halfway down, and then you're in 15 seconds, you're done. And it's very unstressful for the keeper, unstressful for the animal.
3: And, Mm -hmm.
2: you know, most of the time I've never assisted an animal. I can't think more than three or four times before I've gotten it to, you know, eat uh, on its own. Runners are different. The the ones that strike and wrap and drop or they strike and they hold it in their mouth and they drop. I think a lot of that is they just don't know how to swallow um yeah it's and so you,
0: bizarre that it just seems like once they start eating they understand like what's happening it's like literally teaching them to eat it
2: is it is it's like a light bulb goes off in their yeah. head yeah. you know um so I, I i think you're right on the money there thad you know just get that assist feeding done uh sooner rather than later and then just be patient you know no, i i would say 90 percent of them will are eventually going to turn around and, and and they'll start eating
1: yeah i'm sure they are and i you're absolutely right about it. they don't know how to swallow uh they're the ones that haven't eaten yet are the ones that have had they're one one they're they're runners mm-hmm. and two they use try and assist feed them and they do everything they can to spit it out and they have a difficult time swallowing i'll sit there and just watch them and they just they have it takes them ten minutes holding it in their mouth before they'll even start to try.
2: Yep. It's almost like they forget it's in their mouth. They'll just sit <laughs> there for so long. Yep. They fall asleep in, in with their it. Mouth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They fall asleep with it. And then they'll drop you know, eventually they'll drop it. Um so, yeah, you know, I mean that's my theory at
0: least. When I had Cody Bartolini on the show, he made a good point of, you know, is it really less you know, more stressful to just grab them and assist feed them for fifteen seconds, or would you rather you know beat the hell out of them with a pinky for an hour? Yeah, which one's more more stressful than the other? And he's like, I'd be willing to bet it's probably the assist feed thing. So that made me feel a little better about having to do it with mine. I was like, Yeah, he's right. I didn't really think about it that way, but
1: I tease him I, I... for like <clears throat> like five ten minutes tops yeah. before. Yeah. And then I just close it and I move on. Mm-hmm. And then, either at the end of the feeding session or the next day, that's when I'll go back in and assist feed. I'd, yeah, I'd just try
0: I'd close mine up for two minutes as I move to the next tub and work my way back through the lineup for those that hadn't eaten. And usually, after they've kind of gotten their bearings from waking up or whatever, they seem to to grab it and get with the program.
2: Yeah, they'll. It's almost like they reset
0: when yeah. you close
2: that tub yeah. and you give them a you know, like you said, a two to three to five minute window to kind of reset, then you can restart the process. But I agree with that. If they're running, no amount of teasing in the world is going to make that, Mm going to make that baby eat. If they're running, you know, teasing it is only going to stress it. Now, if they're striking and dropping, striking or missing, striking, striking, wrapping and dropping, that's a different scenario. But if they're running, you're just stressing it out by beating it up.
1: Now, what's your experience with – have you had – I'm sure you have. Uh, they'll they'll wrap it with their tail, and they'll just hold on to it. Because um, some of the ones that would not eat, they were runners. Eventually, like in the last couple of weeks, have started doing a tail wrap where they'll actually grab onto the pink, and then they still – a couple of them still haven't eaten it, but they're wrapping it. Yeah. Do you – No,
2: that's – that's moving in the right direction. You know, it's like baby steps with these things. If you can get it to wrap, even if it doesn't mm-hmm. eat it, that's a good sign. If you can get it to strike, it's a good sign. If you can get it to strike and then it drops, it's a good sign. All those are better than the ones that just freaking run or spaz. I mean, they'll spaz so bad they just throw themselves off the perch. And oh, then, yeah. You know, then you're done. You know, you just close the tub and, like you said, assist feed the next day. But, you know, some of them are just very spastic.
0: Mm -hmm. I'd have some that would wrap them, and then you know, as I'm closing the tub or something, I'd close it real slowly. But still, they 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 took their mouth off the pinky, and then they were just holding it. And most of the time, I just close the tub up, turn off the lights, because those would usually be the ones that I would feed last, because I know that those are the ones that are most likely to do it. And then normally by morning, it's gone. There's only been I think one or two times that I've, I've woken up in the pinkies there. They actually did drop it and went back to perching in the back or something like that. But even then, I just thought another one and offered to them, and then they 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 take it down.
2: Yeah, my, my experience is a little bit different than that. I would say that the majority of mine that strike, wrap, and then pull their head off,
3: mm-hmm.
2: in my experience, most of those don't eat. And so, when I feed those I'm like super vigilant like Thad was talking about standing on his step stool, feeding those. I mean, I will literally feed one and, you know, just literally not move my hand out of that tub sometimes for five minutes, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want that move. I don't want, I don't want to move away. I don't want to close the tub because a lot of times any of that movement will disturb them. Um, so on those real picky ones, I'll as soon as they strike wrap, they've got a good head bite. Mm-hmm. And I don't move. I mean, you know, blinking is about all I'll do. Sometimes for five minutes, you know your mm-hmm. arms get tired because you don't want to pull away out of the tub, but then eventually they'll start eating it. Yep. you know.
1: Something else I've seen success with is uh, some of the ones that didn't want to strike um, they just tuck their head. If I just barely crack the tub open and slide those tongs in there. Mm-hmm with the hot pink, if they, if they can't, t- if the tub's not open, if they don't think the tub's open, and then I can get them to strike.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it too with some of those is them, you know, as little sort of uh, disruption as possible kind of tricks them into, into thinking it's something that's just wandering by.
2: It's so funny. Some of them are so docile that, you know, I won't even tease feed them. I'll just like put it up to their mouth. Mm-hmm. And almost like try to pry their mouth open with the prey item, and then I'll I'll just get them to open their mouth, and they'll they'll put it in their mouth, and they won't even wrap it. They'll just put it in their mouth, and you're just like super <laughs> super gentle and slow, and then they'll just start eating it.
1: They won't even wrap it. That's how you know, my favorite. That's how my favorite is. The yeah. my pick. Of, my pick of the litter is uh, just like that. You just hold it right there, and it, it takes about three minutes, and finally they'll just grab it and and eat it <laughs> yeah funny. They,
2: yeah they, yeah they don't even wrap it they'll just s- slowly start to eat it they're so funny how different they are and sounds like that you've gotten a lot of good experience off your first clutch those mm-hmm. were little pearls and tips that it took me many clutches to learn so kudos to you and the fact that that 17 or whatever of yours are still Alive is. I mean, that's that's unusual. Yeah. How big was
1: that clutch? clutch? It was eighteen.
0: Oh wow! Nice.
1: The only one that we lost never shed. Three of them, three of them didn't shed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, the the one that died had never shed, and it was losing weight because I couldn't get it to strike, and I hadn't started. I didn't. I don't. Th- I think what happened was possibly that i didn't start assist feeding early enough on that one Mm -hmm. and it started losing weight and it just never recovered the other two bounced out and i think if i'm not mistaken both of those are eating on their own now but that one i just I, i think i just didn't start assist feeding soon enough and i won't make that mistake again
0: and this was this was your first clutch right yeah when did you pair your that pair
1: uh, I started, uh, the only thing I did was temperature cycle. Mm-hmm. I, I dropped temps. I dropped temps down to the, I started dropping temps uh, October 1st of, uh, last year. And then I started pairing a couple weeks after that. And the male, it was his first time breeding and it was her first time breeding and she was fine. She just watched him and he, he had no interest. Well, he, he was just scared.
3: Yeah.
1: He'd just, he'd coil up in the corner. And so I just kept, I'd pull him out and then put him back in for two or three days. Mm -hmm. And then I'd pull him out. And then sometime in November, um, something just clicked. And he was on, it was on like Donkey Kong from that point on. And uh, they bred like crazy until he didn't lose interest again until after Christmas. And so I pulled him out. Sometime around the New Year, and and then all the and then she started doing all her stuff.
0: Nice. Was it nerve wracking? Like when you first, you know, get when when she finally laid. What did you, did you separate them? Because I got my first clutch, and I was like, I'm gonna separate them, but then it was one morning. You know, I had to be to work in, like, an hour, and so I was like, I don't have time to separate. I'm just going to put them all, keep them all together and just, in, you know, put them in the box, put them in the incubator. We'll be good to go. So, did you separate yours or anything like that?
1: The whole experience was nerve-wracking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the very first time I introduced them, I sat in my reptile room in a chair for, I don't even know, an hour, two hours, and just watched them, because I was I was afraid she was going to try and kill them. Mm-hmm. But she was way bigger than he was at the time. Yep. And so, and then once I realized that she wasn't going to kill him, uh, then I just kind of turned every, you know, went and went to bed and got up and checked on him the next morning. And they were, he was still curled up on the bottom. She was fine. Um, so at that point, I started to get a little more comfortable with it. And so then I just started pulling him out and putting him back in and, um, uh, so now I'm no longer nervous to put him in because I, I don't I don't think that – I know she's not going to try and kill a male,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as long as I'm sure it's a male.
2: Well, um, I don't mean to rant, rant on your parade, Thad, but I'll tell you, you talked about nerve-wracking. One of the very first times I put the sickness in with the blue cyclops, I had put him in maybe a few days before, uh, didn't notice any activity, I walked into my snake room at night, and I went to check on them. And the sheer movement of me just moving triggered her, and she struck and wrapped the sickness. Oh.
1: Uh, Oh, my gosh. You know what I did? Freaked out?
2: (laughs) Freaked out, and I just turned the lights off and left the room.
1: She let go and they're fine. <laughs> yeah, she, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> she must have let go.
2: She must let go. She obviously let go. Um, and I, I, never had a problem with them, you know, doing that again. And he obviously was su- successful, and so she didn't scare him off. No hurt feelings.
1: No hurt I, feelings. Exactly. I don't know, but I would imagine that if you try and pull him apart at that point, she's going to bite harder and and wrap tighter. And cause more damage than yeah. than what you. Yeah.
3: That
2: that was my theory. Um, I will tell you also that one time Mark Hager was over, and this this was several years ago, and i had been breeding a male to a female, and I would separated them, and we had taken the male out for some reason. Um, I, I can't remember why, but we pulled about six teeth out of him. Oh my! So so she had done the same to him. I had just hadn't witnessed it.
0: <clears throat> she sounds like oh. a bruiser
3: <laughs> and,
2: and again I'll just say I'll just say this it was a successful pairing the, that female eventually you know went on to, to become gravid by that male and lay eggs
0: hey I mean if if you're into that kind of thing if that's what works that's what works <laughs>
3: uh, yeah. and you sometimes, know sometimes it's amount. better that we don't know sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's
1: better we don't know <laughs> on
2: when the lights go out
3: Yeah, yeah. we'll just we'll, We'll
1: believe what we want to believe. Ignorance is bliss. Breeding's a risky business, you know, you can't mitigate all the risk. It is risky.
0: But having gone through everything now the first time, you know, incubation, getting neonates established, pairing adults, do you feel much, you know, like I know I feel a lot more confident going into it the second time. I'm sure you can agree with that.
1: I'm more confident, but I'm very wary not to be overconfident because there is so much that I don't know. Right. Agreed. And, but just knowing, like, I read, I read both of the main books, Mm -hmm. the More Complete Contro and then Juliander's book, and I still needed Patrick Holmes to, to calm my nerves. Mm Mm-hmm dozens of times we all need that one
0: chondro friend to to talk us off the ledge (laughs) when we're going to do something stupid right
1: (laughs) so yeah there doesn't matter how much you read about it yeah there's no there's no substitute for experience and so yes i'm more confident because i know a lot of the things to look for but there's Mm -hmm. still so many curveballs that they can throw
0: is there anything you plan on changing the next time around
1: um, well, I am, I'm doing the, I'm trying to the food cycling this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I didn't have any bad experiences with temp cycling. Um, I dropped them down to low seventies every night and then I just made sure that they warm back up to, you know, 82 ish during the day for at least, at least six to eight hours. And then, um, and there, there was never any, I do the whole, I do that with the whole collection, by the way, I don't. I don't just do the breeding animals. Mm-hmm. I want all of them to get on the same cycle. Yeah, I think if it's possible. good to have
0: everything in sync like that.
1: So, but I am trying to do the food cycling this year, and we'll see how that goes. Hey, Ted,
2: um, um, just just for the people that are listening, why don't you
1: explain what you mean when you say food cycling? Why don't you kind of push through that? <clears throat> Uh, well, what I mean is that during the summer months, when in theory it would be the um, the drier months, and I know there's no dry month in, in Indonesia, but you know, food is less plentiful over there. So I'm trying to trying to mimic that, cut down on the amount of meals they're eating, and then trying to simulate the season of plenty um, with more meals. Which would be followed by breeding, um, which, from what everything everything I've read, apparently that's how it works. Uh, the rain, the monsoon season comes. There,
0: stirs the prey, item,
1: the prey items are plentiful, and the condors eat more, and that stimulates breeding activity. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to simulate. And a lot of guys that I've heard on other podcasts have said that all they do is food cycle, and it works fine. So. That's kind of the direction I'm trying to go. Still do a little bit of temperature cycling, Mm -hmm. um, just because it also works. And yeah, that's uh, my question for you. Why
2: why would you get get away from temperature cycling? Because I think it's a
1: great I think it's a great method. Are you worried that that I'm not going to
2: to
3: respiratory?
1: I'm not going to. I'm just trying to add another factor to hopefully get a higher success rate. I'll I'll temperature cycle. I'll still drop their, I'll still drop their temperatures in, in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I think maybe that pairing that pairing that with food cycling, you know, once I'm putting more pairs together, um, hopefully I'll have a, a higher success rate with getting gravid females. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm winging it here, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Oh man, it seems to be working.
0: What was your incubation like? Do you would you use as a medium?
1: Um, I used so I did the standard eighty seven degrees. Uh-huh. I used um sterilite, just those little sterilite shoe boxes mm-hmm. with uh water and I did I, I mixed it up. I did one with water with a light diffuser over it. Yep. And I did one with uh, vermiculite just soaking wet vermiculite with light diffuser over it just to prevent sloshing. Yep. And there, it was the same result on both of them. Um, I know there was an issue with my thermostat that I was using. And cause I, was, I had a thermostat on and I also had an external, one of those, uh, one of those thermometers that's got the probe.
0: Yeah, yeah, the like indoor, outdoor
1: and things. it turns out that my thermostat sucked and my probe was off by a couple degrees so my first my first two to three weeks of incubation they were actually cooking at probably closer to like 84 and a half 85 and as soon as i started realizing there was a problem i immediately went out and got a new thermostat um a high-end one and got the temperatures correct And, but at that point, the eggs had already desiccated a little bit. They'd already started to dent in after like three weeks. And so I was, I was worried Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and I didn't really know what I could do to try and get them to plump back up. But I had seen enough pictures of other people's clutches to where I wasn't super worried. Right. Um, They're still
0: salvageable. You just,
1: they, yeah, they weren't molding. They still had vein develop like i i only candle like one i candled all of them the very first day
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then i i did a test candle after about a month to see because it was dented in really it was the worst one that was dented in mm-hmm. i wanted to see if there's still still vein development going on and it was doing fine so i just left them got the temperatures right and i don't know if it was the temperature that caused them to dent in or if for some reason they weren't getting enough humidity or a combination of both But, um, this time around, I still don't know what substrate I'm going to use and sip in the air, but I definitely, definitely going to make sure the temperatures are correct. And I think my setup is going to be fine. My, my incubator is just, a um, a converted wine cooler Mm -hmm. and it does great. Um, I'm going to do some things to make sure the air circulation is a little better inside. Yep. But um, I don't think I'm going to change a whole lot. I may – I'm up in the air whether I want to put them directly on vermiculite
3: because
1: mm-hmm. I've seen people talk about success both with that and water substrate. So I don't know the best way to go on that. Yeah, but
0: a, I think I'm going to do vermiculite next time too. I just my, my first experience with the water substrate thing was not great. And it could have been the box. Like, I couldn't, I need to change up my boxes next time around, too, instead of just using the shoebox with the white lid that doesn't fit very snug. And there's just, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to do differently next time.
1: I kind of like the shoebox with the white, like, that doesn't fit snug because I like that there's a little bit of air exchange going on. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I may just put a water pan inside there, inside the, not inside the egg box, but inside the chamber. Yeah. To, to raise up the humidity right. inside the actual incubator itself and then keep the Sterilite. That way there's a little bit of air exchange going mm-hmm. on, but it's still holding all the humidity inside.
2: Yeah, you know, once I did that, um, once I added a, a big um, pan in my incubator to keep the ambient humidity of the um, uh, incubator up, I found great success with that. And I also found good success with you know i'm a firm believer of the first 3 to 4 weeks they need absolutely no air circulation at all the best thing you can do for them is to get the get that box as humid as possible for the first okay. month i mean i don't open the box and my boxes are completely airtight not a not a draft of circulation now as that incubation process gets further in then i think some air exchange is important Mm -hmm. because um, I talked about this uh, on the Port City Python cat uh, cast last week is, is that, you know, that egg box is a dynamic chamber, right? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. from day one to day 50, the conditions are completely different. And the reason is, is because those eggs are an exothermic reaction Mm -hmm. as they progress, they release heat. And as they were, as they're releasing heat, Um, that's causing more humidity in that, in that box. And that's when you need to get that, that ventilation. The first four weeks, I want them as airtight as possible, no air circulation and, you know, there's no such thing as too much humidity unless you're getting water droplets forming on that, on the top of the uh, egg box that could drop on the egg. So that's, that's just my two cents.
0: Are you using like a regular six quart box bill when you do yours, or you do them a little bigger?
2: Um, yeah, I think mine are are really probably about a ten or twelve quart. Okay. But I think the most important thing is, is my lids. The boxes that I use are the lids drop down into the box, mm-hmm. and so mm. um, there is no chance of any air getting inside that box
0: because that's that's something that i saw brought up recently i don't know if i was it was on youtube or facebook or something like that but someone was talking about it might have been another podcast but they said bigger boxes seem a little bit easier to manage ironically uh humidity and temperature seem to be a little bit more stable in bigger boxes than they do small boxes that makes sense i mean think
2: i mean it makes sense you know think about a fish tank Mm-hmm. You know, everybody says that the 200 gallon fish tank is easier to manage than the 10 gallon, and that's because uh, you just have much more, you know, leeway yeah, for 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 error, so to
3: speak. Uh-huh. Right.
0: Yeah. So that's one thing I'm gonna try next time too. Is I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a a bigger box and something like Bill said that's that's airtight that I can manipulate down the road.
3: I think yeah. And the that... Way that
2: i'm uh, sorry go ahead uh, i was just gonna say, and the way that i manipulate that is is i have holes in the box
3: mm-hmm.
2: that i put tape over and then after about three or four weeks i take that tape off and now you know i don't have to do anything to the box but all of a sudden now i've got ventilation in the box
0: are you doing tiny like pinholes when you do that
2: uh like soldering iron
1: side okay. holes okay mm, okay okay when I, did I only it... had, um, I only had like five or six eggs in each box. I had, I probably had three six quart boxes in my incubator,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and because I was concerned about being in too small of a box for when they started producing their own heat, that um, that way the box didn't have too many eggs in it, causing the temperature to rise too much. So I don't know if that did anything or not, but they all hatched. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's just, that's how everybody just gets good at it. You know, you experiment, you find out what you prefer and what you like. And you, and you build upon that, you know, that first time breeding, you're, you're, you know, you have 10 people telling you all the different ways they do it and you're not sure which one works best. So you just kind of throw a dart at the board and pick which one you think is going to work. And then, right. you know, so that's, that was my biggest frustration with it is I had a lot of input from a lot of people. Some of it I took to heart, some of it I didn't, and... And I mean, like
1: Bill said last out. week, it takes like three years to get your incubator dialed in, so yeah.
2: <laughs> it it did for me. I mean, I don't know, it sounds like bad that you got yours dialed in year one. That's that's awesome. I mean but uh, I it,
1: I, it wasn't perfect. It was not perfect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you, you you hatched the successful clutch, so
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it's good enough to perfect. But I, I've talked to so many people that have lost so many eggs. And myself included, where I know that the, that the reason they lost those eggs is because they dried out. I think that's by far, you know, the number one problem with incubating condor eggs is they're not kept wet enough.
0: So a question I mean, for... mope oh, go ahead, then. Oh,
2: oh I was just going to say, I mean, I like to see my eggs, you know, the first three or four weeks, so plump they look like they're going to explode. You know, I mean, I want them to be... I see dimping if I see dimping in the first two weeks, um there, there's a problem
0: with the box.
1: <laughs>
0: Something's not right. They look
1: normal. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like something we went through, isn't it, Justin? Yeah.
0: <laughs> mine were I mean first two weeks, mine were all denting pretty bad and I had some people were like, Oh, they look fine. I had someone at Will Banks was like, Man, those look dehydrated, and I was like, I don't know, and I rode with it and then loop. I was like, yeah, those look dehydrated, dude. He's like, mine look well, cause like Well,
1: because you're that. thinking in your head, you're thinking in your head, how could they be hydrated, dehydrated they're sitting exactly.
0: over water? <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, I've. If that's not the case. Just because they're sitting over water, if, if the ambient humidity in your incubator is 20% or 30%, yeah. uh, and your egg box is not airtight, you're going to have problems, even if they're it's over just, water.
0: Just a sponge outside of it. Yep. Yeah.
1: That'll be the biggest change next year is having ambient humidity inside the incubator itself.
0: I'm ready. I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm excited to pair mine again. Justin, this is a great smoke. Glad you're liking it, man. How far down are you on?
2: Uh, I've got about a third of it left.
0: Okay. Man, you're taking your time with it. Yep. I smoke fast, so that sucker would have been gone in like an hour. <laughs> But uh a question for both of you, and I guess Thad will start with you, is what do you think the Condra side of the hobby could be doing differently and or better?
1: Um, just so, personal
0: personal preference. This is just something I'm I'm curious and I like to ask a lot of Condra guys just to see what, sort of what the
1: So my question my answer to this is based off of my own personal experience. And I was lucky to find Captain Brennan Bourne at a reptile show when I was when I first was looking for a new snake
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's what the hobby is missing uh, I that's one of my goals is to breed entry-level chondros yeah you know I want to have I just want to have some sorongs or jaipuras you know yellow neonates maybe even some red neonates mixed in there stuff that I can sell for five or six hundred bucks at a reptile show that's mm-hmm. gonna get more people interested and more people involved in the hobby Because that's what we don't have. Everything you see on Facebook is multi-thousand-dollar designer condros that people are selling, which is great. And there's definitely a place for it. But you don't see a whole lot of the entry-level stuff that's going to get people hooked. And I think we need more of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I want to do the designer stuff because I love it. And Marshall Mendez is doing some awesome stuff. And I can't wait till some of that stuff comes available, but that's going to be years. Mm -hmm. But in time being, I feel like I could be doing some stuff with localities that I can be selling at a lower price to get more people involved. You know what I mean? Definitely.
0: I know Bill's doing something similar.
2: I I could not agree um, with with that comment. I think, you know, by far and away, that is the number one, uh, like priority that I think, you know, that we should bring into the hobby because getting somebody, their first condo and it being a good experience versus them getting their first condo and it being a bad experience. Mm -hmm. It's night and day. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it'll hook somebody versus completely turn them off. So I think that is right, right on mark. I will say, you know, I think the community by far, all in all, is doing a great job. And I think these animals, the more that they've been bred in captivity, you know, quite frankly, um, and for better or worse for the the breeders out there, you know, it's going to be easier. These things are going to be easier to breed and establish in captivity. And once that happens, this... Um, you know, the curve is going to change a little bit and there's going to be um, enough availability in the marketplace for captive bred stuff, because right now, you know, that's not the case. There's just so the, the demand so far outweighs the supply. Right. And, um, I, you know, I think in t- 10 years from now, you know, it's going to change. It's going to change for the better. There's going to be more people involved in, mm-hmm. in the hobby we just have to be really really careful um and i can say this because i've been involved in the royal community for a very long time and there are problems that come about when these things become quote unquote too easy to breed and so there's you know there's advantages and disadvantages uh, to
0: both of those scenarios don't bring that scaleless bullshit around here steagle
2: <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Because I got some clutches. Because I got some clutches in incubator. He's already right working now, on
0: making it. a royal royal chondro hybrid. It's gonna happen.
1: That that will never that will never happen. <laughs> you know the the thing is chondros are never gonna be easy to breed though.
0: I think well, they're well, easy to breed. That? Getting eggs and like getting the uh, eggs
1: no, to hatch uh, is the hard yeah. part. I stand. I stand corrected. Not not <laughs> that they're not easy to breed. Getting babies established is going to turn a lot of people off to breeding contracts so. Making them do sex is easy.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. That, that it is now, but I think as more generations are bred in captivity, that these babies are going to become easier to establish. Uh, you know, when 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 royal pythons first came on the scene, they were not easy to breed and to get babies. I mean, they were, uh, you know, it, it was not easy, and now, you know, any 12-year-old kid with oh, the right well. setup can can breed royals.
0: Look at the black so, hole we're I... in now.
2: <laughs> hey, that's how I'm going to make my living, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing against ball pythons or ball python people. They're just it, It's such an easy target. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: And I love it. I I relish it. But I think we're doing. I think you know. To answer your question, Justin, that I think we're you know we're doing a lot of things right Mm -hmm. as far as you know disseminating the information, being very transparent. That's my my biggest pet peeve with the ball python community is the lack of transparency.
0: And I'm sure you can you can uh, appreciate um, it a little better than most, seeing both sides of it.
2: I just, I've seen it with carpet pythons because Mm -hmm. I used to be a prolific carpet python guy. I mean, that's, you know, I've produced many, many clutches of carpet pythons, but I saw that community um, slipping into the ways of the royal community, and
0: it's it's slippery slope. Saw their souls turning black. Yeah. I mean, yes and no.
2: It's it's it's, 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 it's difficult. Um, you know, you just it's it's a difficult topic. But to answer your question, I think we're doing a lot of things right, um, and I think that's point was was you know right on the mark of getting some um, lower entry level captive bred chondros that are you know relatively easy to keep. Mm-hmm. That, that's how you're going to grow the community. We yeah. just have to be careful in how we grow it.
0: I couldn't agree more, man. My first experience with a green tree was like eight or nine years ago, and it was horrible. And it wasn't until two years ago that I got back into them. And I remember when that first one that I b- ever bought died, I was like, I'm never messing with these things again.
1: Yep. yep. And that's yep. a lot of people's experience because every reptile should go to, you know, one of the only green trees you see are imported beox. Mm-hmm. and they don't yep. thrive.
2: Well, it's podcasts like this and it's experiences like both of you guys have had, um, good experiences, successful experiences, you know, that's, what's going to continue to, you know, foster the growth. We Mm -hmm. just, we just have to make sure that it, that growth happens, you know, um, in a positive way, as much yeah. as possible.
0: And I will say, I, that's what I, one of the things I do love about the Condor community in general is, you know, everyone, like, like you said, the transparency, you know, there's really no secrets in terms of people and what they're doing and what's happening, you know, be it NIDO or anything like that. Uh, and everyone's willing to help At- each other. Like, I feel like we're all kind of in the same boat. We don't know where we're going, but someone sees somebody land, you know, off to the right or off to the left. And, you know, everyone starts kind of working towards that and... It's uh, it's uh, it's it's hard to describe, but it's just everyone's sort of there for each other. It's just one big sort of tribe.
2: Yeah, and I think that's largely a function of the size of the community, mm-hmm. you know. And agreed. So that's why I'm kind of torn, you know, about about growing the community. I want it to grow. Believe me, I want it to grow. Um, but I've just seen it. You know, I've seen it with 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 ball pythons and with carpet pythons. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just got to kind of have to, you know, learn from the mistakes of other communities and just try to do the best we can do.
0: Stay on the path. <laughs> but, Thad, what's the what's the future of TL, uh, TLS? Where do you want to be with Condros in the near future? What are your plans for 2020?
1: Um. Well, so... We want to add some more species. I, I know this is a green tree podcast, but no oh, man, there's a
0: snake guy. I've got a bunch there... of more stuff other than Condras in there. I'm down. You with guys already anything. know
1: I've got a I've got a caninus, and you know I want to get a few more of those someday. You know when, when I'm a much wealthier person, I want to get into some bait eye. Ooh. I uh, the love hordeolumus. They're amazing too. Uh, really like those. Cinzenias. You know I'm I'm I'm. We're talking to a Python community, and I'm rattling off a bunch of boas. Uh, <laughs> rough scales. Rough scales are oh, like my man. holy grail. Dude, I you want... and me
0: both. Bill, what's, I up want... what's up with those? Make some more.
2: Hey, I, I, I got 1.2 animals from Dave D, and I think I've got a gravid female right now. So that'd
1: be cool. Mm. He had some a few years ago, and I didn't jump on it, and I wish I would have. Man, I want some rough. Me skeleton. and
0: Jake want some bad. I want inland's really bad too.
1: But yeah, as far as the future, uh, yeah, adding more species, you know, having more locality stuff, you know, working with some of the black line. I want to have, I want to develop some of that. Um, long-term futures, I want to do exactly what Bill's doing. I want to retire from the army and not have like so I'm going to retire at 45 years old drawing pension. So I don't want to have to get another job. Mm-hmm. I want this to be able to supplement my pension and I got to be careful and not fall into the trap of spending every dime I get and not having money to put into it and grow it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the, that's going to be a challenge, but I, I think it's attainable. Um, I mean, Bill's doing it. Yeah, <laughs> he's making us proud.
2: Yeah, but I, I, I will, um, I will say that I am with a caveat, and I've mentioned this many times before, that it sounds like you're set up to be able to do that. Um, you know, to try to do that full time before you're not quote unquote retired from your real job, uh, I would never recommend that to anybody. I think that's uh you know, that's a really, really tough path to go down. It's It's been done before, uh, but I think, you know, it's one in a thousand. I think, you you know, you need to have, you need to have, um, you know, grown that collection organically over years or decades. And then, you know, if all things happen right, and you still have a passion for it, then that can be an exit strategy for sure. But it, it certainly wouldn't be an entry uh, you know, level for me as far as like trying to take care of a family or or have any kind of consistency in a revenue stream or anything like that.
1: Oh no, you're absolutely right. And I've got I've got a, quite a few years left in the military, but when I do retire, that's 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 the goal. I, there's no way I could maintain this, and I don't see how anybody could maintain a large collection and have a full time job. You know what I mean? It's just it's not going to be something I can do. Um, so that, but that's what I'm working towards is growing the collection. And then when the time comes, when I do retire, maybe have to get a part-time job on the side to supplement, but uh, this is the ultimate goal Could be a greeter at Walmart. You know, I think <laughs> I want, I think I want to be a bus driver,
2: Uber, man, Uber,
1: driver. school bus driver. You get summers off, you get all the breaks. There you go. They make a decent. They make a decent hourly wage. It's a good part-time job. Same
0: route every day. You've got,
1: you've yeah. got. you
0: know, <laughs>
2: you you've got benefit. Well, you don't need benefits because you'll be retired. But the big thing for me when I retired, you know, at, at fifty-three years old, was you know my benefits. And you know, the only reason that I was able to do this is because I'm I can get health care benefits, you know, through my wife's employer. Um, because you know, without that, I, I would not be able to do what I'm doing.
1: And that's probably the biggest part of the military that's going to set me up is when I retire, I'll have all those benefits available to mm-hmm. me, and I won't have to—I won't have to get it from an outside source. Right, which is so.
0: Well, have fun with retirement, both of you. I'm a millennial; it's going to be gone by the time I'm old enough to even qualify.
1: So. <laughs> I'm, well, a I'm a millennial too. I just, you know, chose a different I'll occupation. Wor- <laughs> I'll be working
0: until I'm literally being put in the ground the same day.
2: Nah. That's
1: not true. <laughs> nah. No, Come,
2: Come on, Justin. You know there's a PCU you that, you know, I'm twenty years twenty years from now, you know, to be able to, to, to do this and you know, bow out of your of your day job, right?
0: Well hopefully at that point I'll be owning a cigar shop and I won't have to worry about that.
1: If you own a cigar shop, do you really work a day in your life? This
0: is true. <laughs> I work at a cigar shop and I don't work a day in my life. <laughs> Hang out and watch the Friday trilogy and rush hour and cops and drink coffee. Ooh, that's Sounds like sounds pretty good and I
2: saw you, you know, your picture out by the pool, you
0: know. Yeah, that was at my parents was, yesterday. I had a day off and I didn't do anything.
1: So I kicked Now speaking of life goals, my, you know, maybe you maybe you have this, maybe you don't, Bill, but I have a pool as well. But my one of my life goals is to have a pool and not have to be the one that goes out and maintains it.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah
0: yes you just get one of those little the little pool Roomba things that cleans it for you
1: it's not that easy is it Ted it's not it, no no it, if you maintain your own pool you spend more time cleaning it and maintaining it than you do enjoying it that's true it's very accurate
0: how old are you, though? If you're a millennial,
1: thirty-three.
0: Oh, okay. I'm a few years behind you. I'm twenty-eight.
2: You're just barely a millennial at thirty-three. Yeah, I just barely say. made
1: the cutoff. Yeah. I don't like associating with millennials. I'm not a big fan because I work for a living.
3: Me neither.
2: <laughs> I love to
1: watch. I, I mean, I
2: love to watch the millennials. You know, social media is just so awesome. It's it's a millennial fest. And uh, <laughs> I I love you know. Sitting back here, shit, I don't even know. I'm right on the border of Baby Boomer and Gen X. I'm like one year separates me from Baby Boomer and Gen X. So, you know, to me, it's I I find great entertainment on social media.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't we all? All
0: right. So, Thad, we're going to wind this up. Where can people follow you?
1: Uh, so we just started Instagram a few. Uh, I don't even know if it's been a few months yet, but we're way behind the social media curve. But it's TLS Reptiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, TLS stands for Thaddeus and Laura because my wife is a partner in this business. She's just not here tonight.
0: That's so cool, man. So Fantastic. many people. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you you got a, a spouse she, that's she, that's into it.
1: She's she's learning. I'm trying to teach her, yeah. uh, and she, you know, like I said earlier, she doesn't have any reptile experience before me, but um, she's she's learning, and so hopefully that if I ever have to go away for a while, she can uh, take the reins and mm-hmm. and not have to not have to worry about anything.
0: Everything's in good hands.
1: Um, we're also on Facebook. Uh, Tls Reptiles is our page. It might be Tls Reptiles LLC. I cannot remember at the moment, but you guys can find me and that's pretty much it. That's where we're at this message. And, uh, we have some stuff available. If anybody's interested.
0: Cool. And bill, if anybody hasn't been following you already,
2: um, I'm probably most active on my Facebook personal page. Just, um, you know, bill Stiegel. I, I also have Instagram. I'm Phoenix reptiles. Uh, I've got a website, phoenixreptiles.net, And, um, you know, happy to obviously uh, talk to people there, any of those avenues.
0: Awesome. Well, Dad, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, Bill, thanks for co-hosting. It's, uh, My pleasure. Like I said, i like to like to change it up here at TCC, get some different guest co-hosts on, keep things interesting, mix it up a little bit, let people sort of talk and meet each other like y'all too. you know, kind of
1: network.
2: Yeah, it's been a real smooth show. Thank,
0: thank you, Justin, for inviting me. Absolutely, anytime.
1: Thanks for bringing me on too, and uh, hope to meet. Hopefully, someday I can meet both of you. Yeah, get on down to Daytona. Which carpet fest? There's like ten of them now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If if you can only go to one, go to Northeast. I mean, and I say that I'm, I'm the. I've been the host of all but one of the Southern Carpet Fest. Obviously, I'd love to have you down here, and I will be hosting that in 2020 in my new place. Um, But if you can only go to one, go to the original, the OG Northeast Carpet
1: Fest. Even after you talked all that shit about carpets?
3: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Absolutely. And I still keep carpets, and I breed carpets.
1: Oh okay.
3: All right. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he
0: can have a say because he's he's kind of one of them. So
3: Owen, I am and, er- er- <laughs> Owen and Eric
1: are going to kill you right now, huh?
2: <laughs> Hell no. They. I'm one of them, and they know it. And um, they'll never get rid of me.
0: He's like a tapeworm. He's not going anywhere.
3: <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck with him all right y'all well i appreciate it again have a good night we'll talk to y'all later
1: thank you guys thank you see you
0: later all right that was episode 16 y'all thanks again to thad sauls bill steagle the steegs um follow thaddeus at tls reptiles like he just said follow me Uh, on Instagram and Facebook, YouTube, at Palmetto Coast Exotics. Follow the show at the Chondro Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Subscribe via SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. I'm sure it's on Podbean and some of those other bizarre sort of side sites. And of course, the show would not be possible without David Brahms at Specialty Enclosure Designs, the official sponsor of this podcast. If you have anything arboreal, SpecialEnclosureDesigns.com. he's got a product for you that your animals will use and enjoy if they feel things like enjoyment but anyways thanks y'all we'll uh, kinda taking the rest of the week off got Daytona come up I'll be at Daytona third. well Friday through Sunday I'll be there the whole weekend uh, hope to see some of y'all there I'll have a THP shirt on uh, filming a bunch of video for the YouTube channel all that good stuff so please if you see me stop say hi I'm planning to smoke some cigars while I'm there. So if you're over the age of 18 and you like cigars, hit me up. We'll burn one. So thanks again. Appreciate you giving me the mental real estate. See you later.